Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. In a second, going to first uh, throw to an interview that I did over the weekend with one of my Blue Wire Pod Squad brothers, Ryan Drosty. We talk about AEW and their roster and who maybe should be next for them and who maybe hasn't done such a great job as we would have hoped. We, we break down their roster as it relates to past WWE folks and also the current uh, indie folks that they're bringing in. So Ryan hangs out with me for about 50 minutes, and then I bring on John to talk about the August 1st, 1992 episode of WCW Saturday Night. We are very close to Ron, the Ron Simmons era of WCW. And I hope actually, you know, that that episode of uh, WCW Saturday Night is going to be for next week, where they lead with the footage of, of Ron wearing, uh, winning the, the uh, championship. And I just learned that one of my friends was actually at that show. So uh, my buddy Larry or AKA Heel Larry on our Fight Game Podcast Facebook group. I'm going to bring him on at some point really soon so we can talk about that show and him being at that show and what it meant to him to see Ron Simmons win that championship. Um, and, it, you know, the 1992 WCW stuff is, I, I remember a lot of it. There are certain things that I don't remember very clearly, but for the most part, you know, I was watching pretty religiously back then, and it's been fun to relive that entire thing. Um, just a couple things before we uh, take a break, before we uh, talk to Ryan. The uh, the last episode that John and I did together was uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, and we did a really fun thing where uh, I, I just, I got married actually yesterday as, as, as of this recording, and what we did is we took some uh, advice from followers, from friends, just on our social media, uh, on Twitter, and in the the podcast group on Facebook, and we read those, and we had a good time, and you know we had a couple of cocktails, so the you know we were a little loose, I would say, for that show before we talked about AEW and NXT. So if you haven't listened to that, check it out. Uh, the the wedding did go through. I am married now. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Folks in that group who were there or folks who are listening to this uh, and are not in the Facebook group, there were a few of you who were at the Zoom virtual wedding. Really appreciate 
everybody who was able to to be there. And, and look, if you if you were not there or couldn't be there for whatever reason, you know, John and I just love the support. We love this podcast. We love the people we've met through this podcast. We've loved the community we've created on Facebook. Uh, and it's not, it, you know, it was created to sort of support this podcast, but it's really outgrown anything we could have imagined. You know, there's constantly posts every day talking about, and, and look, th- these are smart people. There's no trolling. We don't allow it. It's really fun stuff. And you know, it's kind of, I, when I wake up in the morning, you know, it's one of the things I, I, I look forward to doing immediately because I know there's going to be something in there from the night before that I hadn't read. But um, anyway, just want to say thanks to everybody for all their kind words and the wedding was great and, and everything. So Upcoming, I'm actually going to be on vacation, so I am going. I am actually pre-recording and pre-producing uh, a couple of things here. John and I will be back on Thursday night in our normal slot. I uh, I was able to talk the the new wife into letting me bring the microphone uh, on the vacation just for the one show that that we do. We, we like to keep the consistency. And, and with the WCW Saturday Night stuff that we are going to record on Thursday for Monday, uh, we got to keep it all consistent. You know, we, people expect certain things from us now. So she was totally fine with it. So I'm going to bring my microphone on vacation and we'll still have our normal Thursday podcast up. But I uh, this podcast is going to be up a little bit early because of the fact that we've put it together a little bit early so that uh, I don't have to worry about it too much before the trip. And also the Rocky Balboa podcast will be out Tuesday night. And that show, uh, Duan and I have you know pre-recorded a lot of the episodes. We really only have two left to record. So we're ahead of schedule, but that'll be up on Tuesday night. Uh, I will put that together uh, a couple of days before that and, and make sure that everything is ready to go so that you can listen to that show uh, when you expect it. So before we get to Ryan, I am going to talk about our friends, our favorite friends, our best friends at Bet Online. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. I actually have the Milwaukee and Houston game, the Sunday primetime game, on the TV, volume off, uh, as I'm recording this. And uh, the game is tight, and it is an exciting one. And I am sure that tons of people uh, have have some action going on on Bet Online for this game. Uh, Major League Baseball is in swing. We are, at least for my San Francisco Giants, we are 10 games in. Uh, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners at Bet Online. I'm sure. Uh, I don't. I don't imagine people thought that Giants would be five and five after 10 games here with this uh, no-name roster of players. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That is promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And now let's 
Uh, let's send it to the segment I recorded uh, Friday night. You'll hear Ryan mention that he had just finished watching SmackDown. Uh, he gave us uh, way more of his time than I had even asked for. So Ryan Jirasi from Top Rope Nation, and we're going to talk some AEW. All right, as promised, bringing on Ryan Drosty, who is the host of Top Rope Nation, also part of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network, part of our wrestling. What what does uh, BJ call us? The Wrestling Pod Squad or something like that? The Pod Squad, yeah. (laughs) So what's up, man? (laughs) Not much. Uh, Just got done watching SmackDown, actually. So I was covering that over on comicbook.com and uh, jumping right on the mics with you. So, hey, no place I'd rather be. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you I mean you're on my list of course. I I I wanted to I wanted to at least do shows with, you know, all of us who are on the Blue Wire podcast network, but I'm actually intrigued at folks who are who I consider sort of content creators. Like you have a writing background, you have a podcasting background, and you know, you do it in 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 wrestling, which is it, it's fun, but it's 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 sort of a, a passionate, really passionate hobby, but it's not like it gets quite as many eyeballs as if you like did sort of the same thing on the NFL or the NBA. It's really like a little bit of a more niche thing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're in this too with the fight game podcast, but um, I kind of, yeah, I was just interested in your background. Like where did you get started in kind of the media aspect? Uh, Obviously it starts with you being a fan, but then when, when do you actually get involved in doing some writing and and doing some, uh, some podcasting stuff? Cause I know you have a, Uh, a long history of doing this stuff now. Yeah. uh, So I'm 36, but I've actually been writing about wrestling since the nineties, believe it or not. (laughs) That's that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was in high school when I started, you know, trying to dabble at at covering wrestling a little bit. Um, And uh, I guess this would have been 99 ish. I know the first site I ever wrote for was ProWrestle.com. I don't even know if it's still around anymore. I, <laughs> and I did a little bit on ProWrestling.com too around that era. Oh wow! So and and this is just you, like reaching out to got to the people who run those websites, saying, "Hey, you know, I want to write recaps, or I'm interested in in doing something." Pretty much, uh, it was it was fairly wide open back then. It was like the Wild West. <laughs> you know, apply, they give you a chance. I was a decent writer, you know, in high school. I always kind of wanted to do something with writing. Um, I did a lot of like sports writing on my own. And so I thought, yeah, I'll give it a try. I was a massive wrestling fan pretty much my whole life and uh, started dabbling at that. But I think when I really started doing it consistently uh, would have been around 2002. I started writing for WrestleView.com, which is still around. And uh, from about 2002 until I think around 06, I mean, I consistently wrote for WrestleView.com. I was like a co-webmaster there. Um, But then when I got deeper into college, you know, I just had less and less time to do that on the site. I mean, to be quite honest, I wasn't making any money at the time doing it. It was was all just free labor. Uh, And so I I just kind of got out of it. And then uh, while I was in college, I was I was interested in in media and broadcasting, but I, I got my teaching degree, but I did minor in electronic media and journalism. So I got some training in you know audio production, video production, but and also writing, of course. And uh, I always kind of wanted to use that that minor, and so eventually, gosh, I guess I got back into it around. 
I, I would I would casually like go back to WrestleView because I had written for them so much, you know, years earlier that they would kind of just let me like come in without much notice and write if I wanted to. Like I could throw in a column or something. Um, but it was like t- 2014. I decided, you know, I wanted to do this on the side, but I actually make a little money doing it. So um, started started writing again for some paid websites um, like, uh, inquisitor, whatculture.com for a while. And I also started my own website around that time. I was running topropepress.com from 2014 until, uh, about 2017. And I mean, as you know, running a website is very <laughs> <laughs> time consuming. Oh yeah. And I liked it. I mean, I liked having that, you know, I'm a creator. I like creating something. Uh, I was managing a staff, you know, I, I never wanted people to write for me and not be compensated. So I was paying them. It wasn't a lot, but I was right. cutting them in on ad revenue and everything. Right. Honestly, the person that made the least amount of money on that website was myself, <laughs> but it was a labor of love. And, uh, but I, I mean, after doing that for years and years, I've got a family, I've got kids. It was like, if I'm going to spend my time doing this on the side, um, in addition to my teaching career, you know, I'm going to need to make some decent money doing it you know, to, to actually dedicate my time for doing this. So at that point in time, I, uh, reached out to comicbook.com where one of my former writers on top rope press was actually writing at the time and they hired me. So I started writing for comic book and then comic book was bought by CBS interactive. Um, I think in 2018, uh, or late 2018. And so since then I've been working for CBS interactive, with comicbook.com and at different times popculture.com too they're both um you know same ownership and everything and but uh yeah i mean and there's been other sites i've written for in the past too at one point i think i was telling you i wrote for your friend dave Meltzer at the wrestling observer um i guess this would have been when i was also writing for wrestleview in like 2002 2003 that kind of era as well so is this for his old 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 website that was like really just like a static page with links. Like that's what I remember of that website. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was, uh, I was, I was recapping TNA impact back when it was on like the Fox sports net channels, uh, weekly. And I was doing it for WrestleView anyways. And Dave needed somebody to send in the reports from the observer. So I, I basically took my WrestleView reports and I sent it in to him and then he would publish it on the observer as well. So, this is re- this is even before social media because like Twitter doesn't come into play until like 2008 or something like that. Yeah. And so when you're writing for the Observer website, which from a pro wrestling website, like that website is getting a lot of clicks. Like, how do you share this with your friends? Are, are we just emailing columns like, oh, I was I, I did this thing. Check it out. Read it. I, I, like, how are how are people? How are you knowing that people are reading it. Like, are you getting any feedback on this stuff? I would, um, I would always have my email address in the report. So once in a while, people would, would send me emails. Um, (laughs) if you were critical of the TNA product, I remember TNA fans were very vocal about that, that they didn't like that. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty much just through email. Uh, and I guess message boards as well. Wrestleview.com. They had a really active, um, forums uh message board community and so there was a lot going on there but you're right i mean like before social media that uh that feedback was 
sometimes it was few and far between because they didn't even have really like comment sections on the articles or anything. So you kind of you had to get get it through email. Um, I guess back then people were using like AOL Instant Messenger. If you put that in your report, I never did that. Uh, but it's pretty much just forums and forums and email, I guess. So you're going all the way back into the late 90s. And I'm assuming that this is a product of the Attitude Era where your fandom just kind of goes out of control and up and to the right. And you're at an age where you can actually at least feel like you're a little bit closer to the business. What kind of fan were you? Were you the the smart Mark fan? Were you reading The Observer? Were you looking for websites which posted spoilers? Like how involved were you at this at this point when you decided that you were trying, you know, you wanted to start writing for some of these websites? I was definitely kind of a smart Marky fan. I, I know uh, like before I ever got the Internet, I felt at the time. My family got the internet in 98. I thought we were the last people on earth to get the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember just like begging my parents to get a computer. But before that, I was calling in. Um, there was like a local city line number you could call. And they had like a pro wrestling rumors. Oh, thing wow. That you like once a week it would update. I remember when like Montreal Screwjob happened. They had updates on that. And I was calling in you know, putting in the code for the pro wrestling news. This was free, but it was like this syndicated national like pro wrestling update. Uh, I want to say the guy's name was Blackjack Brown that did it. Uh, so, I mean, I was like getting the insider news even when I was like 13, 14. I wasn't like paying to subscribe to the Observer yet. Right, I did right. start getting the Observer when I was 17 and in 2001. Uh, but by then, I had already been writing a little bit. So, I mean, I was pretty much just... I was scanning I mean, that, what, what is that at that point? Are, are we paying... Let's see. It was like every four, four issues, like 12 bucks or something like that? Yeah. I, I used to go... <laughs> I used, I didn't have a checking account. I remember to to get the Observer. I used to go buy money orders at the local grocery store and mail it in. Oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean, I was definitely I was smart, Marky for sure. Like I was trying to get all the insider stuff when I was you know late teens, like fairly young. Uh, so I was yeah, I was definitely up on on all of that. What what is your first or what is your memory of like the first time you were like. Oh, wow. I actually talked to someone who was sort of close to someone who was sort of close to someone in wrestling. Like, did you what, what was that moment for you? So this is pretty incredible. But the first interview I ever did covering wrestling was Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, this was in the early 2000s. I, it was like 01 or 02. It was actually it was 02 because I remember I emailed him and I said, you know, I was studying journalism I wanted to do an interview. I was writing for WrestleView.com, and and uh, you can probably Google it, Bobby Heenan interview on WrestleView.com. I think it's still up. Um, almost twenty years old now, but wow. he like he emailed me right back, and he gave me his number like just like that. And so I called him. I I had to like go to Radio Shack during that era and get a a tape recorder that would plug into uh, a landline phone to record the <laughs> interview. So somewhere around here, I actually have the audio of that on a cassette. You had to, you had to find it and put it up on your on your show. I should. It was a great interview, man. He he was hilarious. I mean, as you would imagine, Bobby Heenan. He was hilarious and he was so nice and yeah, just what a great guy. All right, so you decide that you want to do the website. And then at some point, you're like, eh, it's too much time and, and not enough value. How does the podcast come out of this? And how long have you been doing the podcast? Yeah, so 
when I was with WrestleView, uh, I was always pitching the people that are running that website that we should start an online radio show. And it was very much influenced by Dave doing the IATA show mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really want to do it. Uh, <laughs> this was way before podcast took off, too. And uh, eventually we did a couple episodes and I was on them on WrestleView, but it never really took off. And then I left WrestleView. And then they started a radio network and I was always kind of like, I just missed it if I would have stayed with the website a little longer. And I, I had always wanted to do a podcast. And so when I launched Top Rope Press, the website, and that's where the podcast name comes from, Top Rope Nation, I I was always going to use it to help launch a podcast eventually. And so after running the website for like two years, we launched the podcast in the summer of 2016, uh, almost exactly four years ago now. And, uh, it was it was me and then Kyle Ross, who is my co-host right now. He was writing for Top Rope Press and he had experience podcasting in the past. So he was kind of a natural fit for us. And then uh, our third host, Justin Joint, he's actually a friend of mine. I've known him for about 20 years. Um, we worked together at a, a local retail store when I was in high school and he was a big wrestling fan and we always stayed in touch. And um, one time the show was about six months old. And uh, Kyle couldn't host that night. And I just casually said, hey, Justin, you want to fill in? Because he had been listening to the show and he did and he fit in perfect. And so I just kept him around and we made it a three man crew. And um, so we, we had the show going for, I let's see, a little bit over a year. And then I shut down the website to just kind of concentrate on, you know, freelancing and writing, just just writing, not also managing a website. But I wanted to keep the podcast going for sure. Um, but our, our podcast certainly experienced a dip in numbers at that point because the website was pretty highly trafficked. Uh, and, uh, I mean, like we were listening to Google news, we, we did good hits. Uh, and I always, you know, I would simulcast the podcast, to the website, uh, you know, put it on the menu or whatever. And people mm-hmm. would just, you know, out of curiosity, they would click on it. And we did a lot of downloads back then. But when I, when I shut the website down, our numbers went way down on downloads. So for the last couple of years, it has been, you know, a lot of work to kind of regain that audience. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we've put a ton of time and effort in the last two years in, into doing that and then getting the opportunity with blue wire, you know, and, and partnering with other like-minded creators like yourself and like, you know, BJ and Jeremy over at two jabronis and, uh, Chris van Vliet, who's been very helpful for us as well in the past. Um, that's been great. And it's, it's really helped us out a lot where, you know, I can actually kind of see this thing taken off again. And, you know, I think we're putting out quality content. You guys are certainly putting out a ton of quality content. I love listening to your show as well. And, uh, I'm pretty excited on where all this is headed. I think. I'd like to take a quick break from my conversation with Ryan. And it's been great to hear his rise through the ranks of uh, just, you know, being close to to wrestling and and starting as a writer and now uh, his podcast. And we'll soon start talking about AEW a little bit. But uh, before that, before we get there, I wanted to talk about our new sponsor, Deal Dash. Uh, you know, Deal Dash is the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect to win uh, at, at a price that is uh, pretty unbelievable. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. And here's how it works so everyone understands how an auction works. Every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. 
The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. So if you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners here at the Fight Game Podcast an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. So go to dealdash.com and use the offer code FIGHTGAME, F I G H T G A M E, or dealdash.fm, fight, front slash fightgame. That's D E A L D A S H dot F M. Fight game. The the JR interview, I think, was a, a really good get for you because it was right before his book came out. And, um, you know, did you get a lot of feedback on that one? Like people, you know, I don't know, I, I imagine JR kind of helped out with a retweet or two here. Yeah. But what, was that was that a good, you know, was that a good show for you guys as far as, you know, getting the show out there? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, by far since top rope press shut down at least in the era of not having a website pushing our show like that it's by far our most downloaded show he was great um you know he 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 put out the link for that show multiple times we heard from a lot of a lot of listeners i think we garnered quite a few new subscribers from that show too because pretty much after that show dropped we we saw an uptick in numbers weekly where you could tell people stuck around so that was huge. And I'm, I'm hoping we get to do more things like that. I'd, I'd like to do a little bit more in the interview side of, uh, of wrestling podcasting. So working on a few things here for the next couple of months and hopefully some of those things uh, come to fruition. I, you, you have, have you met JR before? Because I know you had mentioned uh, the pro wrestling hall of fame, but I don't know if he was there, uh, and, and had, and had you met him before you did the show? I have. In fact, um, there's a guy named Brian Shields uh, who has written several books for WWE, who's a friend of mine. And he has been here to Iowa, to the Tragos Thez Hall of Fame, and received a uh, award one year, even. And he was here one of the years JR was here, and he kind of, he knew JR from working on projects. And so he introduced me, this was several years ago, and I got to talk to him a little bit then. I didn't really keep in touch with him or anything. So, I mean, I brought this up before we went on the air when we interviewed him a couple months ago. And I don't know if he remembered or not. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I have met him in, in person. And that's actually a really cool thing for us to have that Tragos Thaz Hall of Fame here in town. Because, you know, it, it's a good opening for us to meet people and potentially interview people. Unfortunately, it got canceled this summer because we were really hoping to do... A lot of big stuff this summer with they were bringing in a lot of big names um, and hopefully those people agree to come back next summer as long as the pandemic has been controlled knock on wood but uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping to use the the local Hall of Fame which gets a lot of national attention to you know partner with the podcast a little bit uh, next time they have the ceremonies I've met JR I'm gonna say three or four times the most fun I've had with JR was at the Cauliflower Alley. I think it was, it's got to be like three or four years now. It was me, my partner, John LaRocca, uh, Meltzer, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler was at the table with us. Dave Dutra, who's a, who's a local Bay Area uh, indie uh, pro wrestler. Uh, maybe even our buddy David Ruby, I, there, but there was a bunch of us at the table, and um, Jr. was. I think he was the MC that year. It may have been because uh, I think Gene was supposed to do it, Mean Gene, but he got he made you know maybe he got ill that weekend. But 
So Jared was in a great mood because I had heard a couple of different stories about, you know, Jr. Sometimes he's in a really great mood. Sometimes he's in a mood where, you know, he's kind of goofing, goofing around on you a little bit. And other times I've heard, you know, he, he can he, he, he can be a little down sometimes. And he was in such a great mood. He was coming over, you know, he he sees Meltzer and he's like, oh, uh-oh, Meltzer's table. And he just kind of comes over and they talk. And then, you know, I was just I was just throwing lines at him about I don't even remember just to see, you know, just to kind of go back and forth with them. And that was a lot of fun. Like, I really that was a great first impression of Jr. But then I've also seen a little bit of a more uh, a downside uh, of him. You know, this is not too late after his his uh, not too far away from when his wife passed away when he was doing stuff for New Japan. And we were having lunch and and I could just tell, you know, he was he was. Yeah, he's a little down and and like, you know, not surprisingly. And, and you know, but uh, so I've got like a couple of different, you know, versions of JR. But, you know, he's he's a legend and I still enjoy him on AEW, even if his role is a little different. But, yeah, he, it's, it's just cool to meet some of these guys, um, you know, that, that you have your passion for doing this. Some of that passion is like, oh, I would love to talk to these people because I've been watching them my whole life. And the fact that you got to talk to Bobby the Brain is is awesome. And but, you know, the other side of this is that sometimes when you do get a little bit close, you know, there there are other parts of wrestling that you're like, oh, man, I'm kind of glad that I'm not actually in the business because this is not this is not cool or this is kind of sad. But okay, okay, let's move on to talking about something. Uh, that we we were trying to figure out a, a topic, and you know, after we watched AEW's uh, Wednesday show, I started to notice that. I mean, not that I haven't noticed it, but you know, they are relying heavily on ex WWE guys. And you had made a comment on Twitter about uh, the former Zack Ryder, aka now Matt Cardona. A lot of people were a little bit negative on him being shown on TV on Wednesday. And I just wanted you to have a chance to explain what you thought about, you know, why why is everyone sort of negative about this? Yeah, it kind of shocked me because, I mean, I know that Matt Cardona, Zach Ryder, he has this big following online. He has an incredibly popular podcast. He's got a really popular YouTube channel tied in with that podcast. And I've kind of always thought it was kind of the universal opinion that WWE really dropped the ball with him, you know, when he got really strongly over pretty much on his own with the, with the Z true long Island story bit. And, uh, you know, when I've, when I've looked at what WWE has done the last 10 years, and if you look at missed opportunities, I mean, I'm not saying he would have been like a headliner for years or anything, but they could have done more with him during that. You know, I, I always thought the booking of him with what happened with Eve and, uh, and John Cena was like, incredibly questionable (laughs) i mean this was a guy who was he was getting chance at shows during promos from the rock you know like he was incredibly over and it seemed like they just really went out of their way to not run with it when they had kind of a star on their hands and so i've been when he got released i've been personally like really looking forward to seeing what he was going to do on the independent scene or AEW. it always seemed like AEW is where he was for sure going to go he's really close with cody uh, and so to see him on there, I thought it was a great signing. I, I don't think that AEW should be super reliant on past WWE guys. And as we look at the names, we can we can do a discussion here on maybe who they shouldn't have signed and who has been a good signing. 
But I think Matt Cardona is a just a very solid signing. I think he's got a lot of upside. You know, maybe it won't work out, but I think that that's a guy you definitely take a chance on. I mean, in wrestling, it's all about drawing interest, drawing eyeballs, making money. And this guy knows how to make money. I mean, he sells a ton of merch on pro wrestling tees. You know, he's he's got a, a large following on Patreon. He's got this, like I said, this really successful YouTube channel and podcast. So, I mean, to me, that's the kind of guy you want. He has this like very strong organic following, like people, thousands and thousands of people that love the guy. So I didn't really understand why people would have a problem with that particular signing. But there, there are some others that I could see why people would take issue. But this one I thought was solid. I mean, what, what did you think? I agree with you for the most part. The thing that people don't understand, and I could see it if they are really WWE fans and nothing else, which is his what he does on the outside of, of WWE is really meaningless to WWE because they want everything under their brand. Like his podcast and how successful he is at that podcast, it doesn't mean anything to them because they don't he doesn't do it for them. And so I get why WWE doesn't see any value in that. And really the 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 thing that cursed him was the fact that they were not pushing him and he got over in spite of them not pushing him. Mm-hmm. And he got over more than the people that they were pushing. So they looked at that as, well, how dare you? Like, you're not supposed to be over. So, you know, that that kind of doomed him. But um, I, I think for AEW, they're the startup. They're, they're the new company. They are utilizing a little bit more data to try and do things. And to them, what he can do on social media, what he can do in podcasts is valuable because they are a company that is doing two YouTube shows right now. And they're going to be doing a third one starting next week with the the women's tournament. So, you know, WWE has their YouTube channel specifically to show clips of, of their shows. And that's, you know, that's where they're going to get all of their YouTube value. But you know they're 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 not going to get behind folks as social media personalities like AEW can and i think he's going to be very valuable for them there now how do you turn that into money i think is is going to be a big deal because something that someone will watch on youtube for 10 minutes it doesn't really translate into ratings or into pay-per-view buys necessarily so they'll have to figure that part out but i think that his value of what he is able to do outside of actual TV wrestling, I think they'll they'll be able to figure out how to monetize that better than WWE will, just because it's not really useful to WWE. They have, you know, they have TV contracts paying them two hundred fifty million dollars. What do they really care about a million dollars a year in YouTube money or whatever? So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. But let's, like you said, let's look at some of these other guys uh, who they've signed recently who either have come from WWE or not, because they have not only signed WWE guys. I think for every uh, maybe Luke Harper, who people were expecting to be really, really good with them, you do have a John Moxley. So I think that they get a little bit of a bad rap of the wins and losses from this standpoint, because if you look at John Moxley, you go, okay, that is. Uh, a plus out of the park home run signing and you look at Luke Harper and you go, okay, like they tried something. It's not really working on TV. It may be a little bit of a longer play, but for people who watch being the elite, 
I think they get real value out of him, but that's 150,000 people watching that show versus the, you know, the 700 to 800,000 watching uh, Dynamite on a, on a weekly basis. Um, but, you know, what, what, what is your thoughts on, on Luke Harper? He, he seemed to be uh, the sort of the dandy of the Internet fans. Oh, once WWE lets him, you know, do his thing, he's going to show what, you know, what they've missed so far. And I, I don't th- I think the act the dark order act limits him a little bit but it's also kind of up his alley so i understand why he's in this role but yeah you know he's not knocking my socks off every week (laughs) and he may he might simply be you know the the third member of a of a good group rather than the lead member yeah i think i think that was always the concern with him is is the personality aspect because he, he's a strong worker for a guy his size and i think he showed that over and over i i agree with you i don't think i don't think it's been great what's he, what he's done with dark order now that was a group that they had been pushing you know for weeks and weeks and had never really taken off and when he was given that role coming in i was a little hesitant because it's like you know they've been they've been pushing this for so long and nobody really cares that is this already kind of hamstringing him to associate him with this act and you know it could be part of it i don't know uh but he, he certainly hasn't he hasn't lived up to expectations it's not to say that he won't uh but i'm not i'm not a fan of how they've positioned him with the group so far now, you know, maybe just because the personality aspect is a little bit more of a challenge for him, maybe they figured that putting him into a role in a group such as that would, you know, it's a dark group. So maybe he doesn't have to show as much emotion. Maybe that would help out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I could chalk that one up as a win yet, but uh, there's certainly a lot that remains to be written there. But right now, I, I'd probably be a little more negative on it than positive, I think. I actually don't know if this is kind of out there in the ether. But I think, I think the Dark Order, like when you were talking about how they they were pushing them in the beginning, I'm not 100% sure, and I could be wrong, but I think this is like, you know, when you talk about creative, like who does what, we know that Kenny, it really has a hand in, in the women's matches. I think this was like a Young Bucks thing. I think this was like, they were behind the creative of this. And... It was right around the time where they all said that they were not going to be on social media anymore. And I think it was because they were, they were getting a lot of negative feedback and they probably took it a little bit personally or, you know, maybe they're just too busy to do it now. But I think this was one where they were really involved in the creative and it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And that is not to say that, you know, they're bad at creative. Like it's one idea on a show where... You know, you're going to have so many opportunities to do more things. And yeah, the Dark Order is is not is not great. I think um, they they are positioning it constantly as a, you know, sort of a, a mid-level group. And uh, it probably fits better there. But I don't know if you should be positioning Luke Harper at it, with a mid-level group of kind of like goofy guys who nobody takes seriously. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if, if Matt Hardy is put in that group. Does that change anything? Do you think? Uh, with the group as a whole? Yeah. Does it change where they are? Does it change the quality of, uh, of the group? You know, Matt Hardy obviously has a little bit more of a, um, his character leans a little bit closer to kind of the goofiness of that whole thing. 
I, I don't know that it does, but I know that I think Chris Jericho said on his podcast that the original idea was Matt Hardy. Yeah. I don't know that it it's so hard to, to gauge it right now without the live audience. I think Hardy was a guy that uh, was really hampered by the fact that they didn't have a live crowd when he showed up. Because you can imagine that moment with the drone and everything, like the crowd would have went just crazy <laughs> when he when he showed up on Dynamite. And since he didn't have that kind of an intro, um, I don't know, Matt. I don't really feel like Matt Hardy's working that great on AEW either. You well, know? he was gonna, he was going to be my next guy. Yeah, which I, is you know, uh, if if you are. I think he I think he's worked in spurts. He worked really well in the in that stampede match that they did. He was awesome. But he's like he's he's half of Matt Hardy in the ring. And while the personality is there, he can't solely rely on the gimmick uh because he's gonna eventually have to get back in the ring. And then when you watch him in the ring, you're just like, ah, oh, I used to remember, you know, the Matt Hardy of old. So I I, I wish that they would pull back a little bit on his usage, which they might be, and really utilize him more in sort of that mentor role, maybe a little bit of a manager role, though they have 100 managers. I just don't want to see him in the ring because it's it's pretty painful to watch him move around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what about, here's another one that is a little polarizing, I think, because I really enjoy him. Lance Archer, um, I th- I think he's great. I really and in- I don't know if I necessarily like Jake with him because I kind of want to see more Lance than I want to see Jake at this point. Mm. But because he lost the match to Cody, people feel like it took a little bit of shine off him, which I get. I I, I get that. I understand it. But I th- just think he's so good at what he does that uh, he he can. He can take the weight of the loss. I just, I just don't exactly know where he is going to be pushed uh, at this point. How the, how AEW views him. All I know is when I see him on my TV, I, I'm really jacked and excited, and I hope I hope that they can figure out whatever they are going to do with him because he's he's he, I think he's one of the one of the possible stars of this of this company. I agree. I think I think he's been a win. Uh, I have I have liked I I will say I have liked Jake Roberts with him, uh, but I grew up a huge Jake Roberts fan, so I'm a little biased. <laughs> but no, I I love Jake too, but I don't like Jake. Jake is in it for Jake a lot of the time, and mm-hmm. so Jake's getting himself over. I don't know if he's getting Lance Archer over, right? And and that's kind of the job. But Jake's great. Like he's he's an all time great when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could see how people could make the argument that, you know, the Cody loss maybe hurt him a little bit. I felt like they kind of protected him though in that finish. Uh, but, uh, it, it does kind of feel like since then he's just kind of been treading water. Yeah. So like almost like they don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I think maybe, you know, that night I thought the criticism was a little bit overblown, but, uh, you know, maybe there's something to it now looking back, but again, we're in just such this weird era that it's just so hard to judge, you know, without that live feedback. But I do feel like I was probably into him a little bit more before that than I have been since. So there's probably something to that criticism. And then obviously the one that I think fits so well with, uh, with their company is, uh, FTR. They've, they've come in, They've fit right in. They're, they've enhanced the tag team division. There's a natural competition with the Bucks. There's a natural competition 
with Kenny Omega, with uh, the Lucha Brothers, and you know, the, the, you know, we look at wrestling as sort of teamwork, but within that teamwork, there is a little bit of that sort of who's the alpha dog. And I know FTR, you can just tell by the way that they've come in, like they definitely wanted to prove themselves, not only to the teams at AEW, but also to WWE. Like, look at, you know, look at what you guys could have had if you just took this stuff seriously. But I, I thought, I thought this was, you know, they, they, they could, they could, be a little, a little. There could be a little bit more to them when it comes to the personality, but they they are shining to me. Oh yeah, FDR is a huge win. I think, you know, they had years of history with the Bucks, with you know all the references that have made on on social media and with being the elite and everything. I think they had so much built in before they ever got there that it would be very hard to screw this up. <laughs> I think uh, I think they've done a great job so far. I've always thought that those guys had a ton of potential that uh, WWE didn't quite capitalize on. And, you know, this this AEW tag team division is just insane, the amount of talent that they have in that division. So I, I'm i really looking forward to uh, the next several years, really, uh, seeing uh, what they do there. I think that is completely an all-positive signing for sure. I think people were uh, super pumped when, when they signed. In fact, the day we interviewed JR was the day that their release from WWE was uh, – was announced actually oh, yeah. across I the wire that. like an hour before we interviewed JR. <laughs> so it's like, all right, I'm going to ask him about this right away. And I think, I think Top Rope Nation, we got like the first comment from Jim Ross on the uh, possible FTR to AEW reports. So this guy's not a WWE guy. I think he was sort of on their radar, but Brian Cage comes uh, out of Impact, you know. I've seen him in the Indies out here in the Bay Area for a couple years. How do you think he's been with uh, with them so far? He had the title match against Mox. Uh, he, you know, the Taz threw in the towel. What like he's he's an interesting one because from a personality standpoint, he's a little colorless. He's a little goofy, but the look is amazing. And you know, he he he's a, he's a, he's pretty good talent talent in the ring. I don't I don't necessarily like a lot of the high spot stuff that he does. Cause I just think he could work a little bit more like a big man, but there's obviously, ta- there's obviously, you know, obviously talent there. And uh, how, how do you think he's done so far? I think they've booked him just about perfectly. I, I agree with you on, on the personality aspect. And I think Taz has been the perfect manager. I think Taz has really um, excelled in that role. I think that when they had him wrestling Moxley, uh, you know, he, I don't think there was any way that you could have had Cage win that match. And so I think that the way that they did that finish with throwing in the towel and everything, that that was that was a perfect way to do that. I think they protected him in that finish and uh, kept him kept him looking strong. So, I mean, I think so far he's come across as a big star. And uh, I guess the my biggest um, if there if I was to nitpick. I wasn't a huge fan of the ladder match that he debuted in. I thought mm-hmm. they had a little bit too mm-hmm. much going on. But, uh, you know, since then, I think I think they've done a really good job with him. And I like the throwing in the towel finish, like I said. And it protected him while, uh, you know, keeping the world title on Moxley, which I think is what they needed to do. So, um, yeah, I think, I think all around that's a win, too. I think uh, there's a ton of potential for him moving forward. He's got just an awesome look. So a couple more before I let you go here and I'm going to group these guys together. So a few weeks ago, Ricky Starks debuts against Cody. Then Eddie Kingston debuts against Cody 
And last week, Warhorse debuted against Cody. How how would you, you know, I, I, I would like to know what you think about each guy and maybe just, you know, rank them against each other. But also the idea of bringing in indie darlings who have a little bit of a following to really kick off, you know, in, in some instances, kick off the show. But utilizing guys who are absolutely not WWE and trying to capitalize on a sort of a, a more of a social media kind of fan base to bring more eyeballs, like just those three guys. And then also just the idea of, of what they're doing strategy wise. I think it's a smart strategy. Uh, I think, you know, from the outside, you look at what they're doing with the open challenge and you might think that it might be better if it was more of a mystery until the guy arrived. But I think if, if you want to really capitalize, you you have to advertise it in advance, especially against guys like this who do have that online following, because then you can, you can, you know, pump up the interest in the match before it actually airs and, and pop up the rating a little bit. Um, I think you look at those three guys in particular. I thought, you know, what they did with Ricky Starks was really interesting. But then there was like no follow up for weeks. You know, he was pretty much relegated to AEW Dark for I think same, like I mean, three same straight thing, weeks. Same thing with Kingston this week, right? He had he was so hot, and then you yeah. didn't see him on this week's TV. Yeah. So I mean, I they really did a lot to you know uh, on commentary and everything to put over Ricky Starks, and then there was nothing, and then all of a sudden he was back in that tornado tag this week. Uh, I think the follow on that could have been a lot better. I. I also feel like when you do these open challenge matches, if every single time you do it, and this is something that Kyle on our show has said, if you do it every single time where in the end Cody wins anyways, I'm not sure that that's really doing the positives that you think it is for these guys. I think at some point, while you might not be able to have them win, like at least do a, you know, like time limit draws can help, (laughs) you know, or something like I don't if, if it's every week that Cody wins and he just kind of pats him on the head it's like, yeah, good job, buddy. Like, I'm not sure that that is the best way to go about it. I would agree with you if this was um, if it was like when Cody was a free agent, like remember when Cody left WWE, he, he went on the indie scene and he was like, these are all the things that I want to do. I want to work PWG. I want to work the here. I want to work there. But people knew who Cody was, obviously, because mm-hmm. of his dad and because of his WWE run. So anytime he came into these indie shows, he was always either the main event or, or right near the main event. I think if Cody was facing a version of the 2016 Cody, then, yeah, I think the matches should be more competitive. And maybe, you you know, you trade some wins and losses here. But the fact is, is that these guys, to the majority Actually, I don't know the majority because I'm not. I, I don't know exactly the AEW dynam, uh, Dynamite uh, demo breakdowns, but I would say that you know Eddie Kingston, r- hardcore wrestling fans saw him either work on an indie show that they maybe saw a, a stream of, or maybe in person, or they saw him on NWA. I'm sure they may have, they remember him from from Impact, but it's not like he's coming out of WWE with this like gigantic. Um, you know, he, like he's world renowned coming in. And I think if you do get one of those, like let's say Rusev, and he, I was going to ask you about him in a second, but if Rusev came in into this open challenge 
and Cody beat him and pats him on the head as like, you know, good try, then I, I would absolutely agree with you. But nobody really knows Warhorse. Nobody really knows Ricky Starks, except for us diehards who watched him on NWA and some of the other stuff he's done. So, yeah, so I would agree with you to that if, it, if it's a bigger star coming out and they may there may be some other ones right there may be there may be some other folks who are out there like a rusev who if he challenges cody like cody probably should lose that match <laughs> yeah i think i think of those three uh i think warhorse was the least successful <laughs> i think uh kingston was by far the best and i'd put stark somewhere in the middle but i think my larger point is that if if you want to kind of not necessarily make a star, but like have people take notice. Yeah. I think, you know, just doing like a draw is, is a good way to do it. I mean, look at, look at what happened with Cody and Darby Allen. I mean, that kind of made Darby Allen. I think you're, I think you're right. And I think it's coming, but I think they're setting up that thing, right? Whatever, whatever it is, the next one who comes, who is the, the, you know, a bigger star than these folks, then Cody, you know, takes Cody to a draw and then the next one after that is going to be the one that beats Cody. Like I think there's a little bit of a uh, of a trajectory here, but yeah, you're you're right. If you really want, I just I, I they probably don't think that that person is quite there yet. And maybe maybe the person that they're going to eventually have at, you know have um, answer the open challenges, Darby, so we can get that win finally. Mm-hmm. That, I mean that 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 could be what they're doing. Okay, last couple, which is because it just happened um, when you saw. Uh, Nyla Rose picked the purple token and um, they said, oh, the, someone else has picked the purple token. And then we saw Arion, the former Cameron from, you know, the, the Funkadactyl Cameron. Like that, that was a surprise. I, I, I laughed because I, at, at, like I, you could have given me a hundred choices and I would never have picked Cameron <laughs> for this role. Uh, I'm not a fan of this signing. That one was a big head scratcher for me maybe she'll prove me wrong and she'll be great and she's been really working to uh improve but you know based off of what i saw when she was in wwe i don't really see any upside here i think there are probably legions of more talented female wrestlers on the uh, independent scene that they could have brought in so that one was that was pretty shocking to me i i never saw much in her when she was in the wwe or even when i watched her on total divas (laughs) with my wife uh We'll see, but, uh, and you know, maybe I'll look like an idiot. Maybe she'll take off and be a star. I don't know. Prove me wrong. But as of right now, I, that was probably the most head scratching signing for me of, of all the, uh, the so-called WWE cast offs, I guess you could say. My only guess is that maybe she has like this crazy Instagram following or something like it could like, be the, the, uh, do you, do you, um, do you remember when she was on the Tough Enough reboot with Austin, mm-hmm. and she like literally made him like, like yeah, I, th- I think he said, "What what's your favorite wrestling match?" And she was like, um, I, f- I forget the match that she said, but it was like a really bad women's it was a match. universally panned match. Yeah, and it. Austin yeah. just kind of looks at her, like kind of walks away. It's like, oh my, like what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean that that's Cameron, right? Like that that yep. was her entry into the business, and we'll see. I not not to say that she necessarily deserves a second chance because there are tons of people who deserve chances. But if they want to use her for this thing and see if, if, you know, maybe she brings some sort of following, whatever, I I don't really care. But, um, you know, they, 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 there is an opportunity to, 
to to really highlight some folks. And I, I'm not sure. I, I think Cameron's had a lot of chances, so it's not like she hasn't had her chance. The last one I want to oh, I want to ask you about before we let you go. I think it's been confirmed that Eric Bischoff is part of the Jericho Orange Cassidy segment that was taped for this week's, this upcoming Wednesday's Dynamite show. Thoughts on Eric Bischoff being a part of the AEW TV show? So if it's a long-term thing, I think this is where you got to get very careful that you don't start appearing to be like Impact Wrestling was when they were bringing in everybody, including Eric Bischoff. Uh, If it's like a one-time thing, I'm fine with it. Uh, I don't know why you would bring in Eric Bischoff long term because, you know, WWE just tried a year ago to do that (laughs) with the SmackDown creative. And from what someone told me uh, from WWE creative, I was told that he was never like he was never around, that he would just disappear when he was backstage at SmackDown and nobody knew where he was. Like he just wasn't very dedicated. So I don't know what his dedication level is to really help this thing grow if they really want to get him involved uh so you know like i said if it's as a character and it's like a one-time thing or he's only there a couple times i'm fine with that but uh you got to be careful because you you really don't want to get that appearance that you're just wwe light and you're bringing in all these people that used to be in wwe i think i think it's a fine line you have to walk and you have to look like you know you're really the true alternative i really think that's where tna went so wrong um because if you look at tna in the mid 2000s like 2005 ish they really had a unique product you know the early days of the x division when samoa joe and aj were there and everything and they were tearing down the house they had like a true unique product compared to wwe and they just need more people to take notice and keep building that but when they went the wwe light route that's when they lost a lot of people and, and their reputation became kind of a joke uh they're starting to to say, you know, I called it a joke back then. They're they're starting to rebuild the reputation. I kind of like what Impact's doing right now. Uh, but during that era, I mean, certainly TNA did not have a great reputation. And I would hate to see AEW go down the line of, of doing too much of that because their audience is certainly the crowd that wants the alternative right now. And I think they've done a good job in giving a true alternative to WWE. So I do think they have to be careful in who they bring in. So, you know... <sighs> Was it surprising? A little bit, but I guess he was on that uh, YouTube show they did a few weeks ago. So they, they've had, you know, a little bit of a working relationship with Eric Bischoff. They brought him in for that. And I mean, he was on the Zoom call with Tony Khan and everything. So, oh, yeah, I guess it's not super surprising, but I he was, he I was also a one time thing. He was also very negative. Yes. On Tony Khan prior yes. to that, which was kind of interesting. So I my thought on Bischoff is. They want to inflate the rating. And so if you get the word out that Bischoff is going to be there, people are going to, you know, kind of check in and and maybe change that channel from NXT to to see Eric Bischoff. But I will give credit to uh, my buddy Matt Prentice, who said they want to win the over 50. And so that mm-hmm. was like, oh, perfect. Yeah, the, the one the one demo that they cannot win yep. is the over 50. And so let's bring in somebody who could maybe help them raise their over 50 demo, who is Eric Bischoff, who was doing, uh, you know, he, 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 he's been on WCW TV since when I was like a teenager. So right. that, that, that would work. And may, may, maybe I, I think Bischoff is an excellent performer. 
And if you use him sparingly, I think he can be very effective. But he does you you do tire of him very quickly, and he can get annoying very quickly. And he's just kind of you know kind of a liar and just in general when he does his podcast. But you know, look to to win that rating, uh, you know. I, this we are in a uh, as Dave Meltzer says to everybody, we're in a ratings war. That's how they look at it. That's how they that's how they basically validate what they're doing. We are in a ratings war, and this is part of that. So I'm in, but like you, like you know, if all of a sudden he's like, you know, he's he's on TV every week, and then all of a sudden, oh yeah, you know, him and Tony Khan are like having discussions in the back about certain angles. I'm like, oh no, like this is the worst. Yes, thing please don't, please do not do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. I I took up a, a lot more of your time than I asked for, so I apologize about that. But I had such a blast. Like you know, we I'm a little bit older than you, but just sort of the same kind of mentality growing up and and wrestling and doing the stuff that we we've been wanting to do. So I, I like hearing that story. I like hearing the you know the you know just sort of content creator stories and also just the fact that you know we're on the same team here with the blue wire stuff is is awesome uh and we're gonna have to do it again because i had such a blast absolutely man collaboration among the blue wire crew is always fun and uh we will for sure do it again we'll get you over on top rope nation with the rest of the crew sometime and uh this will this will not be the last time i really enjoyed it all right, so people just find your podcast, Top Rope Nation, and putting it in Apple Podcasts and everything. And then what's the uh, Twitter handle for the show and your personal Twitter Twitter handle? Yep, so the show on Twitter is at Top Rope Nation, and you can find me at Ryan Droste. That's D-R-O-S-T-E. All right, man, thanks a bunch. Uh, we will go to a break, and then I will bring on... John LaRock, and we're going to talk about the August 1st, 1992 episode of WCW Saturday Night. All right, this is the last break of the show, and I want to talk about Manscaped.com, the Lawnmower 3.0. So I'm going to go a little bit off of the, uh, the copy here because, uh, as I stated at the top of the show, I did get married this weekend, and part of getting married is you want to present the best possible version of yourself. You want to be comfortable, but you want to feel like everything is perfect. And the Lawnmower 3.0 came through for me. Now, obviously, as the copy says, uh, the Lawnmower 3.0, uh, it, it, it's the best in men's below the belt grooming. And it's engineered tools for your family jewels. But also, you know, it's not only for your family jewels. Uh, it is also for just manscaping other body hair in general. Like the, the clipper is so great. And, you know, uh, I've had clippers before or shavers before that if I wanted to, you know, shave the upper chest a little bit or, you know, even the shoulders or a little bit on the back, like I would get like a real reddish, uh, itchy, itchiness because I have pretty sensitive skin. And so, you know, as I'm getting ready for the wedding, uh, I made sure to use the Lawnmower 3.0 um, to, to, you know, to, to get everything perfect the way that I wanted it. So, you know, while we promote the Lawnmower 3.0 as, uh, you know, for the nether regions, I just wanted to say that it's also for, you know, other parts of, of your body. Um, just a couple of quick tidbits about it. Um, so the uh, the ceramic blade 
reduces the manscape accidents definitely you know it's a very sensitive part of your body if you are shaving below the belt there but uh, it also works like i said on other parts of your body it, it, it is very safe and I, I didn't have any razor burn or anything uh thanks to the blade and the uh, little guard on it um battery's gonna last 90 minutes uh it's water resistance if you do it in the shower uh, and also my favorite feature is the little led light because you know when you're shaving in that area Area, you know you're kind of like <laughs> at an odd angle and you're bending at the waist and you're turning your head and you know there's not, not a great area for light in that uh, in that position so the light is is perfect uh, 7,000 rpm motor with quiet stroke technology and the charging stand that you know USB powered and you can just let it sit on your charging stand if you do get to that 90 minutes so if you're listening to me speak right now I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself trim that junk of yours as well as other parts of your body and you know I, I said this the first time we talked about the lawnmower is even my my now wife she enjoyed using it and you know she has her own grooming products but she thought the the uh the shaver was like really really good like she she's been asking to use it a couple different times so uh, not only for men even though the website is called Manscaped. They may have to take out the URL for Womanscaped as well. So get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FIGHTGAME at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Once again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code FIGHTGAME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code FIGHTGAME. All right, it's time to talk about WCW Saturday night, August 1st, 1992. The Bill Watts era in full bloom here as we talk about this show. John, uh, the show opens with Steamboat and Austin in an interview segment on Worldwide. And that is setting up a sh- uh, the main event, which is Steamboat and Austin for the TV title when I saw that that was going to be the match, I got super excited. I was like, wow, yeah. we get this match on WCW Saturday night? Yeah, I cannot wait to watch. Me too. Got all giddy. The theme of this show... Now, when I watched this show when I was a kid, I didn't realize that this is what was happening, but the theme of the show was everyone who was going to be interviewed was telling the viewers how important the championship was no matter if you were a heel or a face everybody wanted or a tag team i mean gordy and 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 doc were talking about you know getting a shot at big van vader but the whole show was about putting over that the championship was the ultimate prize and it's the most important thing and you got to get in line, and I should be the person to get the match, and you know X, Y, and Z. So that was the entire show. There was the whole thing was to get over this idea that I want to be next in line because this world title shot is mo- most important. The belt is the most important thing, and it should be. It should be the the main championship should be the most important thing. And I like that man. It just makes that por- that belt mean that much more. It made makes Big Van Bader that much of a a great champion because now everyone's gunning for him. And I like the idea and it got me excited. Like, ah, oh, yeah, I would love to see Terry Gordy invader. I would love to see Steve, Dr. Death Williams invader. Um, of course, Ron Simmons invaders, you know, coming up and, 
you know, and Rick Rude won the championship, and and you know, everyone that it's great. This I like this when it's about something like this. When it's about a championship, I I enjoy. I used to get annoyed um, in '87 and '88 when every damn person had to make a comment about what Dusty Rose was doing. Right? <laughs> it was like they all had to they all had to mention Dusty Rose's feud. Oh, you know. It just would, it just drove me nuts. But here, like, yeah, everyone coming out saying, because, you know, like they, they, Bill Watts laid it out. Like, a lot of championships changed hands recently. There's, you know, a lot of optimism in the air for a lot of new contenders and challengers. Everyone's gunning for the, the gold. So it makes sense that, you know, people see their opportunity coming up and if they just got that chance. So, I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Especially when Gordy and, and Williams was talking about the championship. I'm like, God, I remember that promo, and I'm like, yeah, dude, I was, I want it now. Like, give it to me next week if you can. Okay, so the they open the show. the The cowboy is back, Jr. and Bill Watts. Watts says that the champs don't make the matches. Big Van Vader is not the one who is going to make to create his own contender. So he he made that very clear that he is the boss. In, in only the way that Bill Watts can. He's going to make the matches. WCW is going to make the matches. But no, even, but that's a good thing. Like, even on uh, this past Wednesday on NXT, like, even William Regal in his segment, you know, even though, uh, you know, Karrion Cross and Keith Lee, we know that match is going to happen probably at TakeOver, right? But, you know, it's still going to be, you know, he's not going to be bullied into making these matches, right? You got to earn chances here in NXT. So, I like what Watts is saying here. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if he... If you're saying as a negative, maybe like a more of an ego thing with with, with Watts, but that's me, kind of that's kind of how I took it. To me, it's just, just like another way for him to say that he's the boss and everything runs through him. To me, it was just like, yeah, we're bringing back, you know, we're we're bringing back control of this. It's not mm-hmm. going to be, you know, there's some structure here, and and you know, we'll just we'll, we'll, this will make number one contenders matches mean something, or you know, and and. You know, just like we're, well, we always talk about with the AEW, like they had, the, their early goal was to have these contenders and there's going to be top 10, but they, that's totally just, just, just background noise and no one even cares and, and no, and no one, no one gives a crap. So like here, yeah, you know, you're trying to correct that and get back to some good old school traditional pro wrestling. I like it. All right. So, um, as the show opens, we see that uh, they are, they start talking about Nikita Koloff and Rick Rude find five grand for an altercation that they will show later in the show. So another tease, and it worked on me. I was like, God, I want to, I want to, I'm trying to remember what this was. I want to see what happens. I I remember they had, I'm like, was it the locker room brawl? And sure enough, yeah. uh, And then uh, the first match is Brian Pillman against uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. And what I would ask people to do is, if you listened to our last show from Monday, I played a little bit of audio from the interview that Dave Meltzer and I did with Missy Hyatt. I asked asked Brian Alvarez if I could play a little bit of a tidbit, because it relates so much to the time frame that we're talking about. She had her thoughts on... Bill Watts, and I asked her, you know, did, did you know what was coming? Like, all of a sudden, you're on TV, you're a big part of the selling point of Beach Blast, and then I don't see you for a little while. And she's like, nope, there was no explanation. I just was not there anymore. And so, um, 
there's a little bit of a discussion where then Dave talks about Brian Pillman. And he said, you know, he was having a conversation with Brian Pillman. And uh, Bill Watts called him and they had a, a, a discussion. And he said, you know, discussion with Bill was basically like Bill talks and you listen. And he said during this call, he realized that Bill was still stuck in 1986. And he and Brian had a conversation and he told Brian, like, look, I don't think this is going to be great for you personally, you know, Bill Watts being here. And so that that comes to this match, which is Flying Brian and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Obviously, they can't have the high flying match that you know, Pillman was doing with Luke, uh, with Liger and really getting him over with, with the fan base. It's, it's more the style that we've seen on WCW Saturday night, the last couple weeks, which is lots of arm ringers, some arm bars, uh, double wrist locks, like <laughs> Bill Watts describing, you know, the double wrist lock and, mm-hmm. you know, how it works and all that stuff, which is generally fine. Like that's the kind of like, that's like real, like real stuff. For Brian Pillman, and uh, I don't think it works as well, even though Brian Pillman's character, as he would would grow into a bigger star, would morph into more of a, a grappler than the high flyer that he is here. But here, he is still someone who I th- I, I think needs the the high flying stuff to to really get over. And he uses a drop kick from the second rope to win this match, which. It's, it's it's not that far of a difference from the top rope, but just the top rope just looks so much cooler. And uh, I just thought, you know, Watts is kind of. I don't I, I don't know if they're not getting along at this point yet. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm sure I'm not sure actually. And I was trying to like read into what he was saying about Pillman, but I couldn't tell. And you know, Pillman goes over. He he wins the match. It seems like they're still interested in in pushing him, but it was just it just really crystallized for me like this whole idea of you know no top rope stuff i was like okay the a1 person that this rule hurts is this guy we'll talk about what happens later in the episode too which was a little bit of a shocker but yeah i think that's one rule i didn't like about bill watts is the top rope i didn't think it really i know what he i mean i know his mentality was he wanted to bring danger again to top rope you do behind a referee's back get heat the heel can get heat with it etc but it just, it just didn't work in 1992. Um, but I will say this match was fine. It was good. Uh, good wrestling. Uh, and when he did go to the second top, second rope and did come off the drop kick, it looked really damn good. And it, you did like, wow, it stuck out because, yeah, because if he's, if, now imagine a guy nowadays, he's doing all these flips and doing all this stuff. It doesn't mean much, but like, you do one big flying move, even off the second rope, it's gonna look, it's gonna be, it's gonna be impressive. Mm-hmm. So that it worked here, us, and it was a damn good flying drop off the second rope, man. He, he connected perfectly. Uh, Buddy Lee Parker took it perfectly. It was, it was, it was beautiful. Flying Brian wants Brad Armstrong. He uh, that you know that that he wants his title back. So that's uh, that's the match that he's looking forward to in his interview with Jim Ross. All right, uh, so the next match is Scotty Flamingo and the TaylorMade Man against the Z-Man and Marcus Alexander Bagwell. Bill Watts putting his old pal Terry Taylor over for knowing all of the small things about wrestling. Uh, He's the greatest wrestler of all time. The the finish is uh, Scotty Flamingo has the ref tied up. Uh, T- Terry Taylor has a submission on Bagwell, and as the ref turns his head, Z-Man hits a super kick, which JR calls a karate kick, on Taylor, and Bagwell gets the pin. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it wasn't very long. I, I would have liked to see a little bit uh, more action, but uh, yeah, just a quick tag match. Uh, T- Terry Taylor kind of, you know, doing doing Terry Taylor stuff and holding stuff together, and just you know, get the baby faces over here. I thought this was so, I thought this was really good. I mean, um, the idea was like they they really pushed the cruiserweight division this match, right? That was like or the lightweight division. And even talked about Taylor being 238 and can easily he can cut that weight to make that that lightweight. Does uh, it 225 right or 226 was the the limit to be a lightweight? Um, you know what? I remember 1992. I remember them putting Bagwell and Z-Man together. And mm-hmm. I always thought they made a good like they, they fit. I thought they made a good team, and I, I think they should have kept them together instead. That you know later on in um, in the year they 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 bring in. Tom Brandy, a uh, New York indie guy who ended, who ends up being Johnny Gunn, who later becomes Salvatore Sincere, et cetera, in WWF. But, um, you know, as a team, I thought, you know what? I thought, I thought Bagwell and um, Z-Man made a perfect fit as a team. And I think we were teaming earlier in that year, too, in 92. So um, I liked it. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I got giddy just seeing Terry Taylor. Like I said, I've been like on this, Terry Taylor kick, man. I've watched a lot of old matches. He's so, I, I mean, I always knew he was really good, but I just never knew how really good he was. I'm, I'm like, he does so much of the little stuff. It was a, during a rewatch of um, UWF 1987, and I'm just like, man, this guy's like the greatest ever. Like, he's one of the greatest ever. Like, when mm-hmm. it comes to in-ring, he's just so good. And it's unfortunate what happened when he's, you know, the, the Red Rooster stuff, but he is tremendous. And, and um, I mean, shoot, go out there. There's a match... With Steve Austin, 1994, WC Worldwide, just so great. And there's a million other matches of him being so great. And he'll probably tell you how great he is. But, um, you know, so I, I just, like, was excited to see this. And, um, yeah, I, I really like this match. And, and, and like, they, it was fast-paced because that's what they're getting over. The lightweight division guys are going to give you the more fast-paced action. So they're, I thought this this got over what they were trying to, trying to get over. So, um they did two of these interviews where it was Johnny. B, uh, so the first one was Johnny B bad. And later there would be sting. Mm-hmm. And this show was moving like the, this, this show went, you know, just thing to thing to thing to thing. Like this show moved. There wasn't a lot of dead, a dead time in this show, but they did these two quick interviews. So Johnny B bad came out and did like the fastest interview ever. And then you never saw him again. And similar with Sting, like Sting did like this interview near the end of the show where he talked like a mile a minute mm-hmm. and then he was gone. So I wonder if like they were just a little stretch for time or something. Mm, maybe, but uh, yeah, I think there's, they had a lot going on in these shows. They had a lot going on. So yeah, maybe it was just a little time issue, but Sting's always been kind of like that guy. He's kind of like yelling, screaming, and and he doesn't really stay out there too long. I mean, that, that promo last week was just back, that backstage or back, you know, that sit down interview with Tony Schiavone was probably one of the longest promos he's ever done in his career. So, but yeah, Charlie Baker came out. He's you know talking. He has goals. You know he wants to win matches. He's oh I like that he 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 feels he can knock out Big Van Vader man. You know? I thought that was <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was, cool. was cool. Was part of it was everyone everyone's going to talk about Vader. Yeah, yeah, which which is great, man. The new champions in town. The new there's a new guy on top, and they all they all want to get there and, and get that title shot. So yeah, good stuff. Okay, so we get another barbarian squash. He's obviously. Yes. He, he's in the mix here. They are setting him up for what we know they're setting him up for. But he, we, you know, as far as as we're watching this, we don't really know what's coming for the Barbarian. 
but he gets another squash against Chad Bird, hits the big boot again on Bird, and gets mm-hmm. the one, two, three. Yeah, no, and then a little more uh, uh, charismatic barbarian this week. He's a little more yelling and screaming, pounding his chest. I think someone woke him up. I think Bill Watts said, you know what, uh, be a little more wild out there. So that, that's cool. So from Worldwide, they show why Rick Rude and Nikita Koloff got in trouble and got fined $5,000. So it was from a match. Koloff tosses Rude over the top rope, gets disqualified. And instead of the match being over, Koloff goes after him. They fight all the way back to the dressing room. Then they cut back to JR and Watts talking. And then they show us the rest of it, which is Koloff going into the locker room to find Rick Rude and to continue the fight. So I'm watching this and I go, and I'm thinking, what did Rick Rude do? <laughs> Why did he get fined? This is all Nikita. This is like Nikita being a bully. Yeah. And what's going on? Like, why did Rude get in trouble here? So then Rick Rude comes out and does an interview, and he basically says the same thing that I did. And then he changes gear and says, you know what? I don't mind. I'll pay the fine because it's going to be, you know, X number of dollars per pint of blood that, you know, Nikita spills. And But he also said, you know, he's the top contender. He's the one who wants Vader. So again... The, with the theme of this show, everybody wants Vader. Five thousand dollars. Five thousand dollars in nineteen ninety two is now nine thousand three hundred something in today's money. So big money back then, man. They had us that fine. Bill Watts was not. He was trying to set examples, and he did in that locker room. <laughs> it's unfair to poor Rick Rude, though, man. I like, I like, I, I used to love stuff like when they go in the locker room and everything. So it was cool. It was cool. He busted in. There's Terry Taylor sitting there. You know, next to Rude, which I thought was interesting. Like, well, shouldn't it be the little dangerous alliance, right? But and they start going at it, and all the all the baby faces jump in, and all the heels jump in. The baby faces have to come in because they're in a different locker room now. Um, so that that, that was cool. It was, it was a fun. It's, I, I I like when when wrestling does this stuff. Jimmy Jam Garvin is sacrificed to Doctor Death Steve Williams, as he should be. Lots of wearing Jimmy down. Uh, you know, Doc's got him in, in, in holds and tying him up and Jimmy's got to get the ropes and Jimmy comes off the top rope. Doc catches him or not the top rope. I guess second. it would have been the second rope. Doc catches him for a power slam and a two count, which I thought it was going to be a two count. Like, I didn't think this was going to finish Jimmy necessarily because I, don't I, figured, th- I thought it was a finish. I figured they were going to do the stampede, but then the way that Jim Ross called it, I was like, oh, this was actually supposed to be the finish and something's kind of screwed up. Yeah, well, the, and the ring announcer announces the winner, right? Mm-hmm. Right when he, yeah, so well, Terry Gillum, I, did, I think the bell rang, right? The bell rang, so I think he had on his, the bell rang, the, the, the ring announcer had finished Power Slam, but maybe no one included him that he's kicking out of the of, uh, of this one. And then, and then God, Terry, not Terry, Steve Williams is so powerful. He just picks him up like nothing. <laughs> I know. And just does a great Oklahoma stampede. Now, let me tell you something, folks. I've seen so many people try to do this damn Oklahoma stampede. No one, and I mean no one, can do it like Dr. Jesse Williams. It's not how he executes it. Not even Jeff Cobb? No. And I, I'm honest. I mean, he does a good one, but it's not, it's not Steve Williams' level because it's not, it's not the execution. People can execute it fine they don't have that intensity that doc steve williams has dr desi williams he 
like is running so fast. He's like, like a madman. Like it is, you're already like, like, oh, this is going to hurt before he even does it, does it right. So he just has that intensity. Jeff Cobb does a good one. And, but like, no, it's like I said, no one can touch it. Just like no one can touch Arn Anderson's spine buster. No one can get there. There's some good ones, but no one can do it as good as, you know, as, as those guys. So, um, it was just awesome to see. And uh, I thought this match should have been a lot shorter. Honestly, I think it should have been a, a a quicker match. Um, I think there's a little more, probably a little more respect there with Jimmy Jam Garvin and, you know, he's a honorary free bird. Well, you know, he was always a free bird, but never like in it until later on. Of course, in 89, he was officially in it, but, um, I thought they, Terry Gordy, uh, former free bird. I, yeah, I don't think Jim Ross really played that up, which yeah. I thought they would have would have been cool if they would have been like, if they would have been like, you know, Terry Gordy, he did get in the face of Jimmy Garvin, but they didn't focus on it. And maybe he get in the face of Jimmy Garvin and kind of maybe like talk like, oh man, hey, old buddies, old buddies. But then Jim, uh, you know, Steve Williams from behind just clocks him, right? Mm-hmm. Just takes over. I thought that would have been, been pretty cool. So the interview that we talked about, Doc and Gordy, Gordy did a really good job of saying that, you know, basically they're the only two people who could take out Vader. Yeah. And then they quickly switched to, you know, the the other stuff with the tag team, I, I guess they're going to have a d- defense against the Steiners, mm-hmm. and the Steiners are going to have a match next. But Doc and Gordy, they watch from uh, from ringside. Yeah, this is cool. And so the Steiners face Mike Thor and Danny Deese. Scott wins it with a Frankensteiner. Rick hits one of these dudes with, with a Steiner line, and I just like I I just wondered, like, how do you even? take like where does he hit you so that it looks so great but that it doesn't like break your collarbone well it hits you in the chest like in the, you know, the upper chest area and a lot of it's his body in it too so it was his body's hitting you with the blow then his arm you know it was good it was solid it was great and it was like i wonder if they're like hey i'm gonna nail you with a big one it's gonna be a little bit you know it's going to be a little bit stiff, but they're trying to get the point like, oh, shit. Like, oh, my God, these guys are going to go at it. They're they're trying to show see Dr. Death Williams and Terry Gordy like, hey, man, we hook up again. It's, we're going to beat the hell out of you. So I love this whole thing. I love the idea of Williams and Gordy staying out there. Um, and I love that they got in a fight afterwards. Like, it wasn't like they walked out. It was like, let's go at it. And, you know, God, maybe want to see that match again, you know. Doc and Gordy try to jump the Steiners, but the Steiners – are waiting for them, and I think Scott is attempting to give Bam Bam a Frankensteiner, but Steve, Dr. Death pulls him out of the ring. And the only thing I thought about was uh, no fine for this one, no fine for watching ringside and, and uh, you know, jumping these guys after they just had a match. So maybe, maybe, maybe they'll get fined. Yeah, yeah, maybe they'll get fined. Uh, Mick Foley does an interview. He also wants Vader, and he has a great reason, actually. I was like, yeah. Loved it. Mick, you actually have a point. He says that he actually softened up Sting for Vader, and Vader owes him a favor, and he would love to, uh, you know, to get a shot at the title. I thought that was a really, it was a really, (laughs) like, logical explanation of why he believes he deserves a title. Yeah, and it gives a reason for them having that match at Beach Blast, non-title falls count anywhere and and um you know even ross even mentioned that i think at the bash too about you know sting having that match at the at the at speech blast which uh cactus how it affected him so and uh no but no excuse from Sting. you know he lost fair and square so yeah no i love you 
God, Mick Foley's so good at promos. And he's also really good at putting over Van Hammer for whatever reason. I guess that was his role on this show. And he Van- talks about the history. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. I like that little callback. You know, something, you know. And I like how he explained, like, you know, it's all about what. It's not just about the muscles and execution music. It's about how to beat the, beat the guy with, with, you know, in his mind, right? You know, I thought that was just all good stuff. Van Hammer against John Peterson, and Van Hammer <laughs> wins with a slingshot suplex. Yeah, this match is pretty bad. <laughs> Van Hammer, I felt like had no clue what he wanted to do next. The whole match, he hit a move, he go this, he go to the right, then go all the way back to the left, then do something else. It was weird, man. I don't know if he was high on something or whatever. I'm not gonna say. You know, I shouldn't say that, but. <laughs> He just, he just, he just like, like he hit a, what do you, he hit like a, an, like an L, okay, so he was the guy at the corner, guy takes a bump at the corner, he goes face, takes a pancake bump, bump on the, you know, hits, goes face first down, and, and then Hammer stumbles around, but then he decides to go to the second row and hit an elbow drop, like, I think the idea was that you're supposed to get the hell with drop, but why do you why do you go around, stand around? It was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a funky match, but thank God, uh, uh, you know, Cactus Jack keeping us entertained during this. Uh, then they go to a pretty cool interview with Tony Schiavone and Ron Simmons. Shivani was actually better than Ron Simmons was in this interview. Yeah. Like, like you said last week, that that is really his strength is really sort of making the viewer comfortable and m- making it look like they're they're not really even doing an interview. They're just having like a fun conversation. His best stuff today is when they do this these type of interviews for AEW. When he's like, you know, like I remember early on when he, during the first couple episodes, he had a great sit down with Cody, right? Talking about Sean Spears and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was great. Um, so, you know, did a good one with FTR, you know, in that hotel lobby, wherever it was. So I think that's where he really shines today and also shines here. So he talks about his college football career, getting his jersey retired. He talks about speaking to children. Um, He talks about wanting to be the best and to be the champ. And that's his ultimate goal. Uh, And, you know, not to really spoil anything here, but uh, he's going to get that opportunity really soon. Yeah, like the next day. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, good stuff, you know. Uh, want to be a role model, want kids, uh, someone to look up to. Like, great babyface stuff. Um, you know, I, you know, Ron's there. Yeah, he's not a, a strong promo. I mean, later on, he had his spots, right, in the WWF or WWE. You know, damn. And even before that with the APA, like, he Farouk. had, like... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about like with APA. I think he kind of found his his, his sweet spot. Yeah, the, he had he had his punch. Ch- he had his punchline, punchline punch stuff. Yeah. yeah, but but like, even though it wasn't a Chris promo, I think it felt real though, right? And it all started with it started with Tony Shawnee how he set it up and the questions he asked. But I thought that I thought they they accomplished their goal at least. All right, and then. Um... They then we had kind of a weird interview from Nikita. Nikita's screaming and yelling at Medusa, and he's like saying he's like gonna beat her up if she gets in his business again. Oh, hey, hey, she can't be interfering with Garrett. (laughs) Okay, um, 
and he he's really kind of being a jerk about it, uh, telling her to be go be a slave and go book you know go book Rude's uh, flight well, and stuff. We we did establish that last. They did they established that last week when remember she Rude was telling her go do this, go get this done, you know. So he's saying like, don't interfere in my matches. Just take care of you know, keep catering to your boy and do all your little. His care to his needs instead of, but if you do get in the ring, hey, it's your you know it's your consequence. You know, I mean, calling her slave is a little strong. Well, I know, I know. Hey, you know and then he's not Russian, Russian guy. You know, he's just he's doing what he's saying. And then he decides to pull out a quote from the Nature Boy Ric Flair and says, "To be the man, you got to beat the man." And he wants Rude's title. Yeah, yeah. He wants this. He wants that U.S. title, man. It means freedom. <laughs> just means freedom uh, another squash match Vader against Jim Nash I saw Jim Nash and I was like holy cow like you know who that is what did he do that is the future jungle Jim Steele ah that makes sense I thought he and, looked uh, really later cool. on in all Japan Wolf Hawksfield which really improved and J- JR's like drooling over this dude during the match oh yeah 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 he, he definitely is and he gets his chance um, a damn a year later um, for uh, the, I think in September or August, actually, yeah, it's September August '93 is when Jungle Jim Steele made his debut in WCW. So, and, but he almost didn't even make it then because Vader nearly killed him with his fireball. <laughs> uh, the Quick Sting interview that I mentioned, I always loved it. Love, 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 love when Sting would call Jr. Rossi. Rossi, yeah. Oh my god, I always love that. I almost called him Rossi at the cauliflower alley. <laughs> but I didn't think that was gonna go over. I wonder if uh if when Sting and, and JR see each other, if he calls him JR or he calls him Rossi. Nah, he calls him Rossi, man. Don't don't, don't 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 ruin it. He's got to. <laughs> yeah, he has to. Okay, and finally, um I thought this was a really good match. It was uh you know, basically so there are two types of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat matches. I'm sure there are many types, but the two types that I think about when I think of Ricky is he's got the match like with Flair where it's just time, great timing, um, you know, counter, 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 reversal, reversal, counter, counter, selling, selling, counter, like just on it. And then he has another type of match where he is selling so much that you almost really believe that he's like dying in there. And that was this match. It was a lot of grappling, um, lots of Ricky selling his ribs. Cause he's, he's got the messed up ribs. The, the show that we missed, I guess they were supposed to have a match, but cause his ribs were messed up from the pay-per-view, they couldn't have the match mm. and they had it here. And Ricky is just selling his ass off. He, he sells to the point of where he looks like he's, dehydrated and exhausted and just can barely stand up uh and uh and austin you know austin is 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 doing his thing he ricky's working the arm on austin and austin the way austin gets him back is to work the ribs jr's teasing more of hulk hogan on the hotline i think hulk hogan's i think the rumor is uh, new japan uh, at this point so that's probably what the hotline was about um and then as we get to the finish this is where I didn't really like the match anymore, but uh, really fun match. And I, what here's what I thought was going to happen. What I thought was going to happen is that they would do what is really what what I grew up on, which is 
you know that the person who is the champion is probably not going to lose because you rarely see titles change hands on TV. And so they would just make the end of the match crazy near falls and the champion is just on the cusp of losing and then DQ or count out or, you know, he'll he'll win or something. So I thought that that's what we were going to going to see. Instead, Paul Lee throws in some brass knucks that have that are taped. He throws it over to Austin. Steamboat actually gets it in front of, instead of Austin. Mm-hmm. Throws the right hand. Austin goes down. Pins him one, two, three. But because Ricky doesn't really know how to cheat, he doesn't put the knucks in his trunks. He doesn't throw them to the outside. He keeps them on his right hand that he threw the punch with. So. When the referee raises Ricky's hand to say that he is the champion and just won this match, Ricky has the brass knuckles right on his fist. And the referee sees the brass knuckles, disqualifies Ricky. He doesn't win the match. He doesn't win the title. And one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, looks like the biggest dork of all time. Well, it was not as like he was fresh, knocked him out, yay, and he pinned him and... And then he, you know, was an idiot. Like, he, like you just explained. Like, he had this rib injury. He's, I love this match, by the way. I thought this match that was just really good. Um, great story. I love the fact that right away, Austin's trying to get his ribs. Like, that's his target. That's, he knows he's injured. He's going to go for it. So, he shoot, throws some kicks out there, throws some punches. Steamboat's staying away. Of course, you know, Steamboat is out wrestling him for a while. But finally, you know, Steve Austin takes over when he finally connects with those ribs. Like, just something simple. It doesn't have to be anything big. Um, they told a really good story out there. But, like you said, like, you know, during the punishment, during the heat, um, Steamboat is exhausted. And he's just, he's, he's barely hanging on. His ribs are just bothering him so much and he's being beat on so when the knucks come in he's he's still stumbling around he's not like he's fresh he grabs him he just throws a right boom he falls on steve austin it wasn't like he just like just you know once for the cover hooked a leg he falls on steve austin referee counts one two three paulie is screaming like look he has something in his hand Referee picks up his hands. You know, Steve was still like, kind of like, almost like half out of it too. Like he knows, you know, and he's accepting of what he did, and he's no like, he's no like complaining about it. But like, uh, I thought it was good. Like it didn't really, to me, it didn't make him look like an idiot. It's just you know, it just the way it was done was 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 smart. I thought, and I think Steamboat was smart at least. Nothing, not to come off to me at least like an idiot. But um, uh, but yeah, there you know this is a step one of what they're building to in a, in a few weeks, and um, you know uh, they these guys had great chemistry together. Um, they had a really good feud in 1994. A couple years later, it's like I was thinking about that. My like, God, I remember them having great matches in '94, and I was like, wait, this is '92. Like two years later, they go back to this, and 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 his matches with Steamboat really that's what really kicked in. I'm like, maybe Steve Austin could be an extra flair. You know, like it was kind of like that's what kind of got my those wheels in motion for that. You know, for WCW, of course, that didn't turn out that way. But he ended up being doing something else and being very successful at it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I loved I love when these two guys gotten mad. I re- I love their bash at the beach match in 1994. It's just it's a long and it's slow, but um, it's just beautiful wrestling. Austin's smirk 
when he comes in, like he had one of the best heel, mm-hmm. like grins, smirks. And I just, when I watch him come into the ring, he's like got this look on his face, just this little smirk. And I'm like, ah, so perfect. And I loved how he bumped too. Like he always took these really good bumps and he didn't, he didn't look like everyone else. Like, you know, it wasn't the old, you know, slap your arms back and schoolboy, you know, you learn. But it's just, um, he like his body, he's in control, but it just looks like, looks out of control. Like, just like I was talking about Dakota Kai and, you know, on our, on our, sh- our, our show from, uh, from Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning. So, um, you know, like he, he, the way he bumps was just so cool. I still love how he just would, would bump and that one big chop when Steamboat made his comeback and just, he connects that big loud, bam. And he takes that great snap schoolboy, but it just looked like his body is going all over the place. It was just killer stuff man i love steve austin one of my favorites of all time yeah so so awesome okay so um you know next week the (laughs) the show that we're gonna watch is uh, gonna have some pretty big news on it so it'll Mm -hmm. it'll be it'll be a fun recap but uh yeah forget that day never forget that day that that is it so for ryan and john i am double g we will see you when we see you peace out.